Sorry, a lot of drama this morning with the, uh, the bus outside, but praise, praise God, the bus is an hour and 45 minutes late, but it finally showed up, and uh, 18 kids from our community are going to get to go enjoy a week at Spring Hill, so praise God for that. Well, family, as we get started here, one thing we didn't tell you also is that uh, this is one of those faithful Sundays that the that we remember, that we don't own this place, that we are just renters, and we actually have to be out at 1 o'clock on the button because of uh, an Indian village activity using the school. So uh, we might ask a few of you to help us clean up, but we'll see. Well, family, today we're going to be in John 20, and I'm going to uh, pray for us, and uh, we'll get right into the, into the Word. Hmm. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are that you are reigning over all things. And, uh, Lord, that uh, Jesus is um, seated at your right hand. And, Lord, as we focus in on the resurrection today, Lord, may, uh, may it mean something. May we realize and internalize, maybe for the first time, how important John 20 really is um, because it speaks of your resurrection, Jesus. Lead us. May uh, these words not be my own, but I pray that you would speak to our hearts and uh, give us truth. Uh, to live by. Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a, there's a, fam- there's a story in my family uh, that has to do with my mom's cooking when her and my dad were first married. And uh, the funny thing is, I think the story has, it's one of those stories that has gotten a little more drastic throughout the years as it gets further away from the events. Um, but the, th- the story goes something like this. My mom, uh, in her young uh, cookingness, and she's an amazing cook now. Um, but as she was figuring it out, she forgot baking soda, I guess, one time with some biscuits. And the biscuits, if you're a cook, you might know, I guess they were really, really hard. And, uh, and so my dad, um, in throwing them out in the backyard for the birds, um, I guess hit the shed in the backyard, and the shed fell down. And so <laughs> they were really hard biscuits, or it was a really bad shed. No, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I wasn't born yet. But all that to say, uh, forgetting one ingredient caused them to throw out everything because they were no good. And I want to say that John 20 is much like that. If we, uh, if we throw out John 20 and expect the rest of the book of John to carry us through, it's not going to happen. We might as well throw out the entire book of John without, the, uh, without John 20. Um, you might be saying, that's kind of drastic. There's a lot of good teaching in it. Well, all that teaching means nothing if Jesus didn't resurrect. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, So who can remind me, we've been going through the book of John for quite a while. What is the goal again of the book of John, as John states? Anybody can remember? What's John's goal? What's he trying to get the reader to do? Believe. Believe what? I heard a couple little things. That Jesus says, uh-oh, someone's been, someone's been reading. So yeah, John 20, 31 actually makes it really clear. Um, he says at the end of uh, all of this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing uh, you may have life in his name. And again, um, I want to propose that without John 20, <laughs> uh, there's really, what do you believe in? Um, the resurrection is the proof that Jesus is God, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, so in John 20, 
we actually have kind of four brief stories, um, four character witnesses, if you will, as to this resurrection. And you can see this in other books, of course. We've got the book of Matthew, we've got the book of Mark, um, and the book of Luke as well. And their uh, episodes are all a little different, sharing different events. Uh, Some skeptics would say, these things don't even align. There's different people in different scenarios, but I would argue that that's not, that's not the case. Uh, you've got four humans <laughs> giving their perspective. And so there are a, little, um, there are a few differences in uh, who speaks and who says what. Um, but in, in John's testimony, in John's version, he actually starts with, it's funny, he, he starts with Mary Magdalene, who is the first on the scene to the empty tomb, at tomb and sees that Jesus isn't there. And, and Mary actually goes and grabs John, who's actually referred to as the one that Jesus loved, uh, that's what most scholars would say, that's John, um, and Peter. And they run, and they find, I, I think John gets there first, and then Peter follows up shortly, and they find right away that, uh, that indeed Jesus is no longer there. Uh, and there's an interesting um, side note. It says uh, of John, and John believed. It doesn't say that of Peter, but <laughs> I don't know if John was getting some credit there, but he says he believed um, but then it says in parentheses, uh, it says that he believed, um, but that necessarily didn't lead to faith, because Jesus still has to explain to him everything. I don't know if you guys remember that part. Um, they still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had risen from the dead. Uh, so they knew that he wasn't there anymore. Uh, they, they thought that there was a resurrection that happened, but they didn't fully piece together why this was so important. Why this is so important, that's what we're going to get into today. And obviously, shortly after there, we have Mary's story. She's actually the first to see Jesus in his resurrected body. Um, and again, there's a lot of text, guys, so that's why we're actually just going to focus on verses 19 to 23. So you might be wondering, Eric, why haven't you read the text yet? But I'm just giving you some cliff notes uh, from the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to focus in on his um, conversation with the disciples. But anyway... Uh, as far as Mary is concerned, she's the first to see Jesus, um, to see his resurrected body. Now, family, you might, not, uh, you might not think about this off the cuff because we live in a different generation, um, but for a woman <laughs> to bear witness in this way, I mean, a woman couldn't bear witness in a court case in that time period. Um, a, lot of, a lot has come around in, in human rights, specifically women's rights since then, but uh, 2,000 years ago, a woman's testimony wasn't considered valid. It'd be like going to court with your dog and saying, or your cat and saying, testify for me today. And that doesn't happen. <laughs> Obviously, women can speak, unlike animals, but, um, but their testimony is not valid. And so think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. If, uh, if you are one of the disciples and you're trying to get people to believe in the resurrection, why would you put the first witness as a woman? <laughs> Unless it really happened. <laughs> That's the point. If it didn't happen, and they were trying to make up this story, to, which a lot of people have said throughout history, they're trying to make up this story and the, the body was really stolen. Uh, now, you wouldn't put that a woman found it first because her testimony isn't valid even. <laughs> so, but she actually found him. She saw him first. And I think that's neat, the sovereignty of God, that he, he made it a point to reveal himself to Mary first. And then so obviously the disciples we're going to talk about in a minute. And, and, and number four being Thomas. And I just, just a brief note on Thomas. 
Uh, a lot of people give Thomas a bad rap as the doubter. Uh, you know, it, it works out that he's not in the room when the disciples uh, see Jesus the first time. And so he comes up to him afterwards and, and says, Hey, guys, uh, I know you're telling me this stuff about him, but I won't believe until I can put my finger where the nails were. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but what does God do? What does Jesus do? He actually reveals himself to Thomas. And I just think that's an amazing, uh, we're not going to go there as much today, but that's just an amazing picture of the, the mercy and the grace of God uh, and his, um, yeah, his desire to answer our requests. And he didn't, he didn't condemn them. He just said, here you go, Thomas. Check me out. Okay. Um, so let me read John 20, 19 through 23. So on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So let's, let's kind of, what we're going to do is we're going to take it kind of verse by verse um, and then summarize here. But the first verse, verse 19, a couple of things come to mind. I don't know if, again, if you're, hopefully you're asking lots of questions of the text, but the first question that always comes to mind is, how did Jesus get in the room? Remember it was locked? So either this was like a hay booth and like he could walk right through the walls or there was no roof, which I don't think is the case. I think this was an actual building. How did Jesus get in the room? Have you guys ever thought about that? Was he a ghost? Could he just go right through walls like a ghost? I know you guys have seen movies before where people can do that, or movies. Uh, no, I would say he's not a ghost. <laughs> um, but this brings us to a great point, and that point is um, that Jesus had a new body. This is kind of a side note, but I think there's a lot of meat here, so I don't want you guys to miss this. Um, we see that he went through doors in this passage, uh, yet he had the marks of the resurrection, and so there was evidence of his old body. He could eat, so he wasn't a ghost. <laughs> Ghosts can't do that. Uh, but And then some of the other um, passages referring to this, this time in Luke, um, as he's walking on the Emmaus Road with the two disciples, they didn't recognize him for most of their journey. And it says that he kept them from recognizing him. And then Mark, Mark puts it, he appeared in a different form. Um, and then in John 21, which we'll see next week, uh, they didn't recognize the man on the shore. The disciples didn't. So all of these things lead you to believe, okay, Jesus looked different. There was, there was this, this idea that he had a new body, that he had a resurrected body, um, and when I get to heaven, that, that's going to be one of the questions that I ask. So well, we'll find out because we'll know because um, we'll be resurrected as well. But, but what is the difference? And the only, the only thing that, I, uh, was, that has given me any, any idea of what, what, might this, what might happen is passages like, oops, pushed the wrong way, sorry. Passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 35 and forward, uh, or 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. And... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, the passage basically um, is Paul talking about the resurrected body. And he compares it, he uses an analogy um, to our bodies here on earth being like a seed. And 
um, after we die, the seed actually comes to life, and we have a new body. Um, so think about that for a minute. So if, if right now our bodies are just a seed for what they will be uh, in heaven, in the resurrected state, in new creation, that's pretty amazing. And so, so this idea that Jesus can walk through walls and he can kind of make himself hard to see by certain people, it doesn't surprise you when you start to realize, oh, he had, a, he had a resurrected body. The scriptures don't give us like a list of the attributes of what that will look like, but it is very clear. And that's part of the hope that we have in Christ as well. And I was thinking about this, like a lot of us struggle with ailments. A lot of us have problems with our bodies now. Um, and that drive us crazy and <laughs> others of us um, keep us in the hospital a lot. Um, but the reality is, according to the faith that we adhere to, um, we'll be resurrected one day too, and we will have a new body. And it will be completely different. And it will be um, stemming forth from the seed that we are now. Uh, so I, wanna, I want you to just be encouraged. That's just a side note. That's not a big portion of what we're going to talk about this morning. But, but family, be encouraged about the reality of this, this resurrection, that we too will have resurrected bodies one day. And really meditate on what, what, what is that going to look like from 1 Corinthians 13, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it doesn't spell it out clearly, um, but there is a lot of truth that we can uh, apply now. So later in verse 19, he uses this phrase, peace be with you. So was that just like a common greeting? Well, yeah, it was. But is that all Jesus meant it for? Again, I don't know if you've asked that question or not before. Uh, I would say that it's, it's not. It's not just a common greeting. But there, this is an extremely theological welcome, if you will. And so, yes, it is a common greeting on one level, but on another level, it is full of meaning. Jesus repeats this charge. Okay, so what I'm going to do now, uh, again, we, we always talk about this. We, we want to model Bible study skills as we come here together. This isn't, this isn't just a time where the pastor gets up and, and speaks a great sermon, but we, we want to make sure that we're equipping ourselves, we're equipping you to get into the scriptures. And so, so why, why did I even bring up this idea of peace be with you? Well, a principle to follow is that if, if something is repeated numerous times in the scripture, there's probably a reason the author wants us to focus on it. And so in verse 21 and also in verse 26, he uses the same phrase. Okay, so that should get us to start to think, what is this, what is this phrase, peace be with you? Why does he say it three times? Um, and then as you look in the context, another, another piece of the puzzle, looking back at prior texts to discover the context, it says in verse, verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verses 27 and chapter 16, verses 33, he promises peace to his disciples. Uh, and if you remember, it's, the, it's the, the, the episode where he's explaining the comforter that will come, the Holy Spirit. And so, um, so again, those are some ideas, both using repetition and both using context, um, to allow us to see that this is probably a loaded phrase. And the theological concept here is that we are now, we now have peace um, because we are reconciled with God. And this was made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And guys, I don't want that just to be a statement that I say. I want to try to get us uh, to, to really understand, like, when he says, peace be with you, a new dawn had come. It wasn't like, hey guys, you have some peace now. 
No, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, a whole new dawn has, has, has come. We are no longer slaves to sin by faith in Christ. We are no longer uh, left to our own devices. We are no longer left to pay for our own sin. Uh, the Bible is clear that by faith in Jesus Christ, and this is the proof, this is what we're putting our faith in, we're putting the faith in that he wasn't just a man who said some great things uh, a long time ago, but that he was a man who actually came and that he was God. And that was proved by the resurrection. No other human being has ever resurrected from the dead. And so this must be God. And he says it over and over again as well, and he backs it up. So when he says, peace be with you, I pray that we have that experience of the disciples, and we'll see in a minute, that we're overjoyed, that we're ecstatic, that we are God's children, and that the, the things of this world, yeah, we still have to pay our taxes, we still have to work a job, we still have to do all of these different things to live in our society. But it's different. We are redeemed. We are children of the living God. We've got a new mission. We've got a new task. We've got this peace of knowing that we are his, as the disciples are beginning to experience here. So verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So the wounds, again, that was just simply proof of the resurrection. Um, yeah, proof of the resurrection. And, uh, and this, again, this idea of joy. The disciples were overjoyed. And uh, again, remember that this was promised in, uh, in chapter 14. And then again in chapter 16, I can even... Remind us of that real quick if, you're, if your finger's not there. In 16, verse 20, he says to them, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He's talking about his death. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. And then he goes on to talk about the, the childbearing um, analogy, how a woman is so excited when the child actually comes that the pain really isn't that bad. You guys will experience that soon, hopefully. But... Uh, but this idea of great joy, great joy. And again, because the new dawn has, has, has come. Uh, we are in a new place. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Okay, so there's a repetition. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So a question, a good question that I asked as I read through this, are we to simply replicate the life of Jesus? Because he says, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. So you can read that and you can say, man, I've got to move to Jerusalem. I've got to move to the Middle East. I've got I've to do what Jesus did, right? There's probably some lepers still around to go and heal. Can go to the synagogues and, and preach God's truth. I know you guys are like, Eric, come on. But no, people have taken this literally in the past, this mantle. And I, I don't believe it's quite that literal. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, so the Father has sent me. And so, and so then there's a whole other camp of people that have said, well, no, that just refers to evangelism. We ought to go out and share our faith. Just like Jesus was sent to proclaim the truth about God's coming kingdom, forgiveness of sins by faith alone in Jesus, that's what we ought to go out and do. We ought to go out and evangelize. And again, I think that's missing um, part of the heart here of Jesus' command. Um, 
think he's referring more to absolute obedience. Just as Jesus was absolutely obedient to the Father uh, through his time on earth, he's calling us um, to be sent in that obedience. Um, and this is just an interesting side note. The word sent here, so when it says Father has sent me, that's not past tense. Uh, you can't see this in the English version necessarily, but in the Greek version, that's actually a perfect tense. And perfect tense in Greek means action completed, but results carrying on. And so the result of Jesus being sent, he's going with us today. Uh, so people be encouraged. As, we're, as he's commanding the disciples, um, I am sending you, and we as his disciples 2,000 years later are still being sent. Um, the sentness of Jesus continues on. Uh, we aren't simply conjuring this up in our own strength. And I know we talk about this a lot as we are on mission a lot at MacGav. Um, but family... Don't grow weary. As the Father sent Jesus long, long ago, that continual sending um, goes forth in each one of our lives today as we are little emissaries of Jesus, as we greet our neighbors, as we go to a corner store, as we help someone move in. Uh, Don't get it twisted. I think it's easy to forget. Um, But family, we come here this morning to remind ourselves, no, I'm on mission, and this this is bigger than me. This has been going on for many, many years. <laughs> this is part of God's eternal story. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so here we see the equipping of them to go out and do this task. And the interesting part, though, I don't know if you've, again, I was thinking about this as I was studying, and you might have been stumped by this as well. I thought the Holy Spirit was revealed at Pentecost. Remember in Acts 2? That's when the Holy Spirit came down. And so... Um, Many scholars think that this is just a, uh, this is more of a, a symbolic moment. Um, it'd be almost like, I don't know if this analogy would make sense, but it'd be almost like you're saying, hey, Jesus, I'd be saying to you, hey, hey, borrow my car, and I'll give you the keys. You can use it in the next couple of days. You can use it whenever you want. You guys experience this with the Mack truck. Here's the keys. Go and use it when you need to. But when he's saying receive the Holy Spirit, um, it's about to happen. It's probably a week later as they're still gathered, um, but the Holy Spirit actually descends on them. Um, but I think, I think the, why John brings it up here, and again, another thing to think about is that John wrote this um, after the fact, and so he might not be going necessarily chronologically, but he's, he's saying when Jesus came back, he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and we received it on Pentecost. Um, but it should alarm it should remind us of other famous passages in the scriptures about this idea of God breathing, um, breathing life into Adam in Genesis 2, 7, um, allowing Ezekiel to prophesy over the valley of dry bones. Uh, again, this idea that the Holy Spirit um, um, is often connected with breath or wind or movement. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Um, this is an interesting passage. Who may, how many of you, when you read this, think, wow, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to be actually telling people that their sins are forgiven and they're not forgiven? I know we, we do talk about stuff like this a lot at MacAv and uh, remind you uh, of biblical truth here, but a lot of us are like, whoa, 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 I'm not going to tell somebody that they're in sin. 
I don't want to go there. I don't want to go on that level. That's difficult. They might get mad at me. And plus, who am I? (laughs) Who am I? Isn't that God's role? Isn't that what he does? And uh, I love this passage because uh, there's a couple of things. The first thing is uh, that it's in uh, the passive voice. And so this idea that um, so they are forgiven and they are not forgiven, both of those verbs are in the passive voice, which means that it's not the, it's not the subject in the sentence that's doing the action, but he's being acted on. And so reminding us again, actually God does this through us. But now what does he do? So that's the question. What does God do? It's, it's, this is about gospel proclamation. There's a couple of other passages like the, um, the keys of the kingdom we've talked about in the past. Uh, this is reminding his family that as we proclaim God's truth, as we proclaim that Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected uh, as proof of that, <laughs> allowing him to go to the Father. And now we are his ambassadors. We are going forth proclaiming that same message. To some, they will gladly welcome that that news. They will say, I want to make Jesus my Lord. I get it. This is amazing. And there's others that will say, man, you're full of it. I don't want want to hear that. Don't Don't be pulling that religious crap on me. I don't want to hear that. We're talking about uh, preaching the gospel either sets those free who embrace it, but it condemns those who reject it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. This isn't an idea of just going forth and telling some people they're forgiven or not forgiven. This is actually bringing God's truth, which is he set in motion, and which he's acting on people because it's in the passive voice. We're simply walking into it. We're simply sharing, sharing that message and letting God do his work. So family, how about you when we come to the resurrection? Is this, is this something that you think about on Easter and, and maybe that's it? Do you believe that the resurrection happened? Do you? There's a, there's a, there's a lot of people in the world that claim to be Christians uh, and think that, well, I can, go, I can go by everything that Jesus said. He was a great teacher. He was a great man. But this, this miracle of the resurrection, like that's not scientifically possible in our world today. What do you think? The resurrection is a key point in Christianity, as I've mentioned already. Throughout the whole book of John, if we don't believe in the resurrection. So why do we need to believe that the resurrection happened? Why is this so important? Uh, And again, I'm repeating myself because I I want us to get it, but the resurrection, it's so important that it happened because without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. We're all all doing this for nothing. I think C.S. Lewis had a a really famous quote, right? (laughs) And I'm going to butcher it because it's not in front of me. But he basically said, your, your, Christi- your, your faith is worthless if you don't believe in the resurrection. And you might think those are strong words. Like, Eric, are you serious? But no, we need to grapple with the, the importance of the resurrection. And we don't know. I think the, the resurrection also reminds us not only 
It gives us forgiveness of sin, but it shows us God's mercy. It shows us God's grace. Um, the resurrection was this, this point in time where God stepped down and said, I care about you in your current position of being dead in the sin. I'm going so far as that I'm coming down in the form of a man and going to the cross for you. So it gives us this amazing picture of God's, God's grace and his forgiveness. But yeah, family, we believe that the resurrect, resurrection happened. And w- would, this, would this stand up in a modern-day court? Yeah, it would. You know why? Because Paul says later in, uh, in, in Corinthians, he says that Jesus showed himself to the 12, and then he just showed himself to, to more than 500. So there were plenty of witnesses to attest to this. Plenty of witnesses. This is, this is, this is my opinion, and if we go by our current law system, uh, it happened. <laughs> I know we weren't around. I know we weren't there, but there's plenty of books. There's non-Christian books that talk about it. How does this affect your life daily? This is where I want us to really, uh, really ponder this with me, family. What does it look like to live in that freedom uh, that Jesus granted his disciples when he said, peace be with you? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Les Mis. I was thinking of that as I was uh, thinking about this idea of freedom. But in it, one of the main characters, Jean Valjean, uh, again, if you haven't seen Les Mis, you should see it. It's an amazing movie um, reminding us of the gospel, actually. Uh, but, but there's this, this key character who, his life, he's a criminal uh, be- because he stole some bread when he was young. And then he tried to escape numerous times from prison, and so he stayed there for a very long time. When he finally got out, uh, without going through the whole story, um, he got to a place in life where he was actually a mayor of a town. He owned a major industry. Um, but his past continued to haunt him, the sin of his past. And, uh, and it did so in the way of an inspector, an inspector who came along and said, uh, uh, he, he saw really, he, he saw the Jean Valjean perform, perform an extra, um, uh, extra strong task. And he kind of, all of a sudden, he put his, you know, I remember you in prison, removing rocks. And, uh, but of course, he was this wealthy man, a mayor of a town. He couldn't prove it. He eventually does prove it, though. Actually, Jean Valjean gives himself up. He turns himself in because he's an honest man. Uh, but until the whole, on the whole movie, he's, he's running from this inspector. And the very, very last scene, the inspector uh, kills himself. He throws himself in a river. And there's this amazing, there's this amazing scene that happens directly after where Jean Valjean kind of stands there for a minute and then with a big smile he walks away. Freedom. At last, his whole life he's been running from his sin. Family, the resurrection ought to affect ourselves, our lives in a similar way that we are free. That we are now free uh, to do the tasks that God has set before us. We are free to live true life that we no longer have to um, get our own, uh, I mean, we can go on and get our own goals accomplished every day and uh, work to fill our bank account and work for security and um, try to have a good life. No, we're free in Christ to enjoy all that God has for us. 
and simply walk into all that God has provided and prepared, prepared in advance for us. Yes, the resurrection ought to affect our daily lives. Uh, the resurrection, um, again, is proof that God is and does what he says he's going to do in our lives and in others' lives. And so as we're on mission here in this community family, we've got a message to proclaim to people that includes a God who actually died on the cross and was brought back to life for you and I. Family, I want us to meditate on that. Um, I want to read something else for the benediction, but I, uh, I, want, I want the band to come forward. We're going we're gonna to do something here. We're going to close with a song, but as we do that, we're going to do our tithes and offering. If you're new to MacAv, um, please don't feel obligated to give. Keep your, your pocketbooks, your purses to your side. Uh, this, is, this is for the family of God here at MacAv. Um, this is an act of worship. If you're a believer and you want to give, please feel welcome, but please don't feel obligated. Um, so we're going to do we're going to tithe, and then shortly after that, we're going to have a time of communion. And so we do this uh, every other week at MacAv to remind ourselves um, that Jesus indeed died for our sins, um, and that we we have life in Him, and uh, the elements represent that. So, family, we kind of do it. If you're new to MacAv, uh, we'll have our communion elements up front. You can t- you can come down and take them after we do the tithe at your convenience. You can step off to the side. You can pray. You can seek the Lord. Um, you can take it with a group of people. Um, but we're going to do that to remind ourselves, to remember that Jesus uh, did indeed die.